Well, welcome to the next in our series on the human story, on human. Uh, looking at our interaction as humans with God's story. And uh, I've really enjoyed it uh, up until this point, looking at these three chapters in Genesis, working our way through. And there's been a really kind of wholesome beauty to this first picture of the human spirit. As we read in the first chapters about God making man and woman, making them for one another and giving them this beautiful, beautiful world to rule over, to enjoy. But actually, as we come this morning to look at what happens to that world, we see that sin fractures the human story and that shame enters the world. And we all, every single one of us tuning in this morning, carry shame. We all have layers of shame. Some of the shame that we bear is not ours to carry, and we're going to look at that in a little while. Some of us perhaps are carrying false shame because of things that have been done to us. But equally, we know that as we sort of look God in the face, as it were, we know that a shadow of shame is in all of our lives. And most of us experience it in silence and in secret, in hiding as Adam and Eve do here. Because the first verse that we're going to look at tells us that when Adam and Eve were first created, they were both naked and they felt no shame. And this is the verse, this is the first verse that comes just before the fall, just before sin enters the world. And this blissful state that Adam and Eve are in when they're naked before each other and before God, it's interesting that the writer of Genesis, instead of saying, oh, they were all incredibly happy or they were blissed out or they were fulfilled. No, he says they felt no shame. Why is that? I wonder if it's because God made us to have no shame. He made us to be authentic and not to feel afraid or full of shame. So this comes unashamed before God unashamed before each other and intimacy. Because where there is no shame, intimacy can thrive. Intimacy with one another and intimacy with God. And the residue of sin, whether it's our sin or those who sin against us, is shame. And every time that we sin or are sinned against, that shadow within us, if you like, creates this hiding. One of the reasons here at Riverside that we're so passionate about life groups is because that's a place where we can be our real selves, where we can open up and say, I want to confess the shame that I feel so that we bring it into the light, so that we stop hiding, if you like, and bring things before one another and before God. In chapter 3, verse 1, there's the whisper of the serpent that comes into the bliss. And the serpent, this sort of evil voice, this opposite voice says, did God really say not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge? Because God had said that the whole of this beautiful world was theirs to enjoy, 
one another and this beautiful world. And the only caveat that he'd put on it was this one tree with this one fruit. And he'd done that for their good. He'd done that for their protection. But of course, like all of us, sin comes in when we think, well, I would like to just turn my back a little bit on God and his love for us and do things my way. In other words, their autonomy becomes the real thing. They become on the throne, if you like, rather than God. And they reach out, and as Eve reaches for the apple, as she reaches for the forbidden fruit, the posture is that of turning their backs on a loving God. And that's when the fracture happens. They take the fruit and suddenly their nakedness is no longer pleasing, it's full of shame. They realise that they're naked and we're told that they hide. And that's so true of us that actually as shame enters, we start to hide. Uh, I remember growing up, um, my first sort of criminal act, if you like, uh, was when I was five years old. And uh, I had seen a very sparkly, beautiful purse uh, that was quite on trend for my reception class that I was in. People would have little blue purses or little pink ones uh, with a lovely, lovely little teddy bear on or something like that to keep their pocket money in or their dinner money. And uh, I thought I would love to have one of those guys. So I went home and I asked my mum and dad, said, could I have one? And they said a flat no, you don't need one of those. You've got a perfectly good purse belt or whatever, you don't need one. And I went into school and one day, uh, Karen, I can't remember her surname, but I remember Karen who left her purse unattended. So if you like, she kind of lost it. Um, and uh, I saw it, my BDI, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to have that. Happy days. I'm going to take that home with me. And so I reached for it, I took it, and I took it home. And I had a sort of euphoria that I remember about having it and about actually having the thing that I'd longed for for quite a while, until I got home. And when I got home, I did the thing that perhaps, the classic thing that perhaps we all do. Not only did I hide the purse, but I hid me. <laughs> I hid. Because I knew that actually suddenly the euphoria was turning to a sickness was turning to a feeling that I'd done something really wrong. And as I was discovered, as of course inevitably I was by my mum, uh, her rage <laughs> uh, was great. In fact, she marched me straight out of the house, straight to Karen's house. I had to confess in front of Karen and be marched home again. And not only that, but she sat me down about threats about when the police would come if I continued to steal and so on. She, she literally filled me with fear, even though I knew she loved me very much. But isn't that interesting um, that actually what was so enticing suddenly turned to a sickness and to a hiding? And that's what happens here, that as they reach for sin, as they reach for their own autonomy and turn their back on God, this shame enters in. I've been really enjoying Stuart Tanger's work, uh, his beautiful drawings that he's done for us. And this one is no exception. I think it's a stunning piece, really looking at hiding, looking at the fact that actually as Adam and Eve realise that shame has come in and that they want to cover up, what do they do? They go and hide. And they, they start by trying to put fig leaves over their parts that they're suddenly embarrassed of. And they find these fig leaves and we're told that they sew them together in order to hide. 
And every single one of us tuning in this morning have fig leaves. Now, that might be a bit of a humorous picture, but actually, metaphorically, it's true that we have things that we've learned to use to hide. It may be that we've, we've tried success and we're addicted to our work ethic or to success to almost make up for the fact that deep inside of us, we know that something's not right. Maybe addiction has come in in many, many different ways. Or maybe it is that actually there's a sort of self-loathing that is there, that we hide with a mask of a smile or a, a loudness that actually is, is hiding this shadow that is within us. There's a story told uh, of a little boy who sees how angry his dad is on a daily basis when he comes home from work. And he fears his dad. He fears his rage, but he also wants to please his father. And so on one day, he thinks of his favourite thing that belongs to his dad, which is this big yellow jumper. And uh, he decides that he, in his little body, is going to put that on because he loves the smell of it and the fact that his dad looks so good in it. So he puts it on. Obviously, it's like a little dress on him. And he goes and his mum sees him wearing it and laughs and gives him a, a, a cuddle and thinks he looks great. So he's buoyed up and he thinks, I know what I'll do. I will stand at the door to welcome my dad home wearing the jumper. And he stands there waiting and soon enough his father comes home. And when he sees his little boy dressed in his jumper, stretching it out, if you like, down to his feet, he takes his belt off and he hits him nine times. And what does that little boy do? What does he learn from that? Well, he runs and he runs into a cupboard and his words are, I wanted never to be found. I wanted never to be found. And there will be people here today amongst us who carry a shame like that that is not theirs to bear. And if you're tuning in and you have been a victim of assault or rape or abuse in your life, I really do believe that God would say to you today that that shame is not yours and to come to him for his healing, to bring it into the light, not necessarily to expose the person, but to expose what it's done to you and to find healing and again, we hope and pray that Riverside will be a place that comes against shame, as Tim has said brilliantly, I think, over the last couple of weeks, that actually our sexuality, maybe you've been made to feel ashamed of that. Maybe you, as a person who feels perhaps trapped in your own body, has been made to feel ashamed. And I loved what he said. Uh, it really resonated with me when he said, whatever your experience is, we would love you to feel so part of God's family here at Riverside that you never want to leave. Because shame false shame or real shame, whether it's something we know that we have done, can be met by God's healing love. So as we look at the antidote, if you like, for our hiding, we read that the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God and he was walking in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees. So not only have they got the fig leaves on, but they hid among the trees. But the Lord calls where are you? 
Now, isn't that interesting? I find that a really, really encouraging verse because here they are, they've, they've messed it up. Sin has come into the world. They're hiding, they hear God who loved to walk with them before this and enjoy the world together. And he calls that, now if this was me, and I think many of us, a bit like me hiding with my little purse, I would expect God to say, what have you done? For his voice almost to thunder out, what have you done? But that is not what God first says. What God first says is, where are you? And I wonder why that is, because to me that shows that he's missing them. He misses them because they had this intimacy that was so close, just the three of them. They had this garden to enjoy together and one another to enjoy. And suddenly God is missing them when they're hiding. And I really felt just preparing and praying for today to say to you that if you've perhaps turned away from God or maybe you're listening in and maybe people in your house are watching and you're not really watching, I, I would just say, can you just stop for a minute and hear that God says today, I miss you, that he loves you. He is love. It's impossible for him not to love you first. Now, yes, he goes on in the next chapter to, to challenge Adam and Eve and blame culture comes in. Adam blames Eve, we hear. Eve blames the snake and the snake doesn't have a leg to stand on. That's me attempting a joke. It's not mine. Uh, but um, th there is a blame culture that comes in when we have shame at the centre. And so our relationships with each other are ruptured as well. So how does God restore this broken story? He calls out to them, he says, where are you? And then he starts to help them to resolve. He starts to cover them, if you like, in a different way. And religion has not done us any favours over shame. And I say that carefully because people have been made to feel ashamed of things that they shouldn't have had to. And the Pharisees in the New Testament were all about that. They were shame spreaders. They spread shame about. They would say to Jesus, why do you do that on the Sabbath? Why would you heal a man? And they threw it all around and they made people feel worse about themselves. Many people have said that, haven't they, about church? Why would I go to church? I feel bad enough about myself already. What a sad statement. The opposite of that needs to be true. So Jesus would always challenge the Pharisees. And what I love about Jesus, he would challenge them way more than those who were full of shame. In fact, the woman who's caught in adultery where physically she's going to be shamed and everyone's about to stone her. And he says, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. In other words, he covers her embarrassment. He covers her shame. He doesn't expose it. He says, well, come on, aren't we all carrying this level of shame in our lives? And he shows her love, similarly with the woman at the well. And it's interesting as we celebrate women today to see just how passionately Jesus elevates the role of women who many times in society were made to feel ashamed. Dane Ortland, in his brilliant book, says, for God to cease to love his own, God would need to cease to exist because he doesn't simply have love, he is love. 
John Stott, the brilliant theologian, was running from God. He was hiding, if you like, for many years. When he read the brilliant poem, which I thoroughly recommend by Francis Thompson, The Hound of Heaven, written many, many years ago. And suddenly he reads this book and he reads these words. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I hid from him and under running laughter I sped from those strong feet that followed that followed after me. And he realised that God was pursuing him, that God's love was still calling out, where are you? Because I want to help to cover your shame. I want to help to alleviate the shame that you feel. Because at the end of this passage that we've heard, there is a covering that happens later on in chapter three, where we hear that God makes coverings for Adam and Eve out of animal skin. Now we might have different views on that, but actually this is a symbol. It's a symbol of blood being shed to cover their sin and shame. And there it happens with skin, but in the New Testament, as we approach Easter, our shame is going to be covered in a way that is completely different. That, that, that the fig leaves didn't cover it, that the temporary fixtures, if you like, of the skin coverings were, were God's gift then, but God's real ultimate gift to cover our shame once and for all is as he died naked on the cross and rose again for us, that actually he took all our sin and shame. So this is a foretaste as God covers with the animal skin. This is a foretaste, a beautiful example of what is to come where we will be fully covered. Tim Keller says, this is what Jesus would say to every one of you. Get out from behind that tree. The only way you will ever get over the trauma that has happened to your soul, the only way you can be naked again and unashamed is to come, to open yourself up to me and admit that what you have done and what has been done to you can only be undone by God's love. So come to me and I will clothe you. I will cover all your sin. And one of the things as we come to a close and as we come to respond to this, that I love about the Bible is that all the way through, we meet characters who are full of shame and sin, who are adulterers, who are murderers, who are abusers, who are terrorists in the New Testament. And yet they find in this pursuing love of God, freedom from shame and forgiveness. Paul is probably one of the most classic examples of that in the New Testament, where he is a terrorist, where he's, he's organised murder on a mass scale. Surely the shame within him must have been so, so great. And yet this is what he says in his second letter to Timothy. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet there is no cause for shame now, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So as we respond to this passage, as we respond in the human story to when sin fractured the intimacy that we had with our God and with one another, we can celebrate the fact that actually we don't need to hide anymore, 
that God says, where are you? Put your own name there. Where are you today? Every single one of us, whether we feel that we've hardly got any shame or whether we feel we've got loads of shame, God's voice to us is the same and God's love to us is the same. And he says, where are you? Let me clothe you again. Let me rescue you with my saving love. Let's pause and pray together. And I'd love you to join me, maybe saying this prayer for the first time. If you've perhaps always felt, if God really knew me, he wouldn't even like me, let alone love me. We have in this passage and we have in the Bible a brilliant love story that says otherwise, that says God does know even the shadowy, darkest parts of us, the hidden parts of us. And he says, that is my child and I love him or her. And I call out to you to take you out of hiding. Let's pray together. Jesus, you were stripped naked and shamed on the cross so that my shame, whether real or false shame, could be covered and that I could be dressed in new clothes of purity and grace. And I thank you that there is no shame too big for your saving love. Help me today to walk towards your light and your love. To stop running from you and to turn towards you. You take all my sin and shame away as I turn to accept you. Thank you for running after me and for finding me again. Amen.